they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was changed hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly to not order them to go to, into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Altogether, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. The good news of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, again, good morning. And uh, wow, I'm glad some of you stayed up. Every, a lot of people went downstairs. Uh, thank you for staying so today, we're going to uh, address this dramatic story that we've just read from the book of Luke, and it's actually recorded in two of the other Gospels, Mark and Matthew as well. And uh, the topic of coming out of isolation, and we're now in the second Sunday after Pentecost in the church year, which is... Uh, a calendar way of telling the story uh, that has been used ever since the Exodus in the, in the, with the people of Israel. And we're telling the gospel story and we're in the season after Pentecost called Ordinary Time. And it's kind of funny because I think for about three years we've been finding it, it's been a hard time trying to say ordinary time because it's felt anything but ordinary. But here we are now kind of coming out of a pandemic, kind of this ambiguity about it, the times that we're in. And we're still trying to figure out what ordinary time means. We're in a teaching series called Reconnecting and Regathering. And as we go through the lectionary, which is a section of scriptures every week that tell the story, we come across two stories today, both from the Old Testament and the New, that deal with isolation. In the New Testament, of course, we see this story of this man incredibly isolated, naked and alone, homeless, living in a tomb, cut off from society. 
But in the Old Testament, it was interesting. The story is about Elijah. Remember him? And his isolation that he felt. He was in a cave. And remember his prayer? Lord, there's nobody but me. Have you ever felt like that? <laughs> there's nobody but me. Or like the psalmist said, nobody cares for my soul. Have you ever said that? Think about it. Who really cares about you? Who really cares and is interested in you and in your life? Uh, it's a common, common human experience to feel, even though it's not true, to feel like no one cares. So what causes isolation? Can we think about that? It's been a big issue, hasn't it, in the pandemic? Uh, it's gone through the roof. The, uh, the real pandemic of overdose-related deaths uh, surely is connected to the isolation and the depression and the mental illness that's come with this uh, uh, isolation. And um, in, we've all seen heartbreaking images of seniors, for example, being visited in their homes and, and loved ones having to visit them through a glass or people in ICU in the hospital. Um, so our corporate mental health has plummeted and um, the circumstances of our life, we often feel like they dictate the measure that we are impacted by isolation. For, some, for example, some of us live alone and there's a setup there for an increased isolation. Because we were born for connection and community. We are in the image of God, and God is, is triune. God is not a solitude. God is a community. Think about that. From eternity past, there's been a community. And we commonly know them as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's other names that we ascribe to these persons in the Trinity. But like a lot of things, I would like to argue that the pandemic did not cause isolation. It only revealed an isolation that was already there. And that is such a weighted statement, I want to say it again. Listen very carefully. I don't believe the pandemic caused isolation. I believe there was an apocalypsis, an uncovering, an unveiling that happened through the pandemic where it revealed a sickness in our society. And my sermon today is who really needed deliverance, the demoniac or the society that he lived in? Where was the real exorcism needed? We were already isolated as a society, weren't we? The pandemic just exposed the degree to which that isolation was, was occurring. Vancouver has been ranked one of the loneliest cities in the world. Is it the cost of living where we're just so, we have no margin for meaningful relationships that causes that? Is it our idolatry, our distractions? What causes this, life, this uh, isolation? Is it lifestyle choices, decisions we make, values we have? Where we put, I think idolatry is anything that we put before uh, meaningful intimacy in relationships. Anything we use as a substitute for that. I was at a gas station on Friday buying some propane for my barbecue. 
And I looked into a van and it was full of people and every one of them was looking down at their phone. And uh, uh, it, you see this everywhere. And I think there is something about our, it's almost a paradox. Our connectedness by media has made us more lonely, made us more isolated. I, I like to say with tongue in cheek, it's like we can be present to the whole world except to the people we're with. And I'm not here to diss it because everything's on our phone now. We have calendars, we have my running apps on there, everything's on there, on the phone. So it's in, in some ways, it's, it, we can't avoid it, but I think we need to constantly take account how much this affects our isolation. Um, we're present to everyone. We constantly have to portray to the world that we're having a good time. When I stand in a Starbucks line or at the supermarket, it's so tempting just to use that empty space to pull out my phone. And I notice that I'll be standing in a line and everybody's, look, everybody's on their phone. And, and I felt the spirit sometimes just say to me counterintuitively, keep your phone in your pocket. And it feels so vulnerable because I feel so unimportant. Everybody else is so important. They've got things to do, people to talk to. And me, I'm just this lonely, abandoned guy that doesn't have any friends on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. I just don't, you know, poor guy. And so it feels very vulnerable when, when you do that. And I, I've kind of put a law in our home when we're having mealtimes, the phones don't come to the table. And I know sometimes there are emergencies and I'm not dissing someone who feels that you have to kind of stay on hand for a call. But as a guiding principle, mealtimes are so sacred and so holy that in order for us to be present to each other, it just feels like this violation. It feels like this invasion when a phone call comes or a text or... Um, so what I'm saying is don't throw it in the trash, but learn to find boundaries when you're, when it's just, you know, and they even, I think iPhones realized we needed that. So they give you all of these focus things now that you can, you know, I'm working now or I'm sleeping now or I'm making love now or whatever. I don't know what else there is, but anyway. Thought I'd wake you up with that one. <laughs> okay. So speaking of meals, I think we've, we've recognized in the post-resurrection stories of Jesus how important mealtimes are for people, right? How often Jesus was having meals with his disciples. I love this. Sup. Jesus supped with his disciples, and they're all going, sup, 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 sup. Anyway, pastor's joke. All right, we'll leave it. And um, by the way, wasn't camp amazing? I, I'd forgotten how incredible it was just to have meals together. And camp gave us that, you know? Not too many people came home sick. Some people burn the candle at both ends, but that's a different story. So I believe a core aspect of our mission, get ready for this, is to be isolation breakers. 
That's what we're called to do. And we see this in this story today. Jesus said, I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. What's that about? It's being aware of isolation. It's been interesting to me. I've had the privilege of bringing communion to people. I have this saying, if you can't come to church for communion, then we'll bring church and communion to you. So I've been doing that with visitation, whether it's hospital or, or in a home, if I'm, if, if I'm allowed to. You're not allowed to do it yet in the hospitals. And it's, it's just such a, 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 an embodiment experience, an incarnational experience, when you bring the presence of Christ through your body, through that communion to someone. We are called to be isolation breakers. There are people who suffer from involuntary isolation. And where He said, don't leave them there. We're to visit them. And it's not easy. You have to cross barriers. You have to get up from your, your couch you know, and get dressed. Take a shower. Get in your car or get on the bus or get on your bike or jog and go see them. And so this happened in our text. For some unknown reason, Jesus made a decision that seemed counterintuitive. You know, you're supposed to go with the wave. You're supposed to go where it's hot. And it was hot on the western side of Galilee. The crowds were up. The offerings were big. I mean, their, their Facebook page had a million likes. I mean, it was just going. And he was experiencing anything but isolation in Galilee. Which, by the way, that's kind of confusing because it's the traditional uh, word for the... See, that's the Lake of Galilee, but actually there was a territory called Galilee, and it was the eastern part, uh, or the western part of Galilee towards the uh, Mediterranean Sea there. And so this is where all the popularity was happening. Lots of miracles, lots of healings, lots of good crowds. Lots of people getting, you know, um, following him. And right in the middle of it all, uh, he says, let's cross the lake. Let's go to the other side. And there is something about breaking isolation that means you, you, you go counterintuitive and you go to the other side. So he left from where he was wanted to where he wasn't known, where he was known and loved to where he wasn't known. He went from where he was wanted to where he was needed, we could say. And the area was called the Gadarenes or Gerasenes, and there was two areas on the eastern side of Galilee. One was called Golanitis, which, by the way, is now known as the Golan Heights. You've heard of that. Kathy and I have been there. And you can from there see the city of Tiberias, which is right there. You can see it from the Golan Heights. And then on the south, there's this area called Decapolis, which is, uh, I believe, Greek for the 10 cities. And right on the border was kind of where the gatherings were. And the, and the lake at that point wasn't a nice, gentle beach. It was like steep cliffs, kind of like the white cliffs of Dover almost. It was just uh, skyrocketing out of the, the lake. And that's, there were caves there, and that's where this demoniac was, was living. So he leaves, in, and not only does Jesus leave where it's nice, the sky was clear, this, it was sunny and warm, 
But what happened when they began to cross the lake? Remember? It was a killer storm. They almost died from the storm, right? So not only are they going to, to a place of isolation and loneliness, but they're crossing a barrier there. So both regions, Decapolis and Galantis, were inhabited by mostly Gentiles, not always. There was Jews, some Jews mixed in there. And this is where we find this man as they reach the shore. And so here we have Jesus leaving the crowds where he's known to go to a lonely place where he was unknown. I remember one time in Lower Post, and, and road trips, by the way, when you decide to do a road trip, there's always vulnerability to that, isn't there? When you say, let's, do, let, you know, let's go somewhere, let's visit somewhere, there's a vulnerability involved in that. And I remember, and it's been more than once, where we'll show up in Lower Post, and for, for the first day or two, I just feel totally out of place. And, you know, here I am, a white male, a Christian leader, so everything that I represent and everything I embody is, is, is a source of pain for so many people in that community. You know, the, it's, it was a, for those of you that don't know, know Lower Post, it's, it was the site of one of the most notorious residential schools. It's a reserved territory of the, of the Cascadene people right on the Yukon border. And for the first couple of days, I just, I, I go, why did I even come? I'm, I'm I'm invading here. I feel, in, I feel so invasive by even coming. And then all of a sudden, one time, the penny dropped for me. And I realized that I was feeling what these people had felt in this community for generations. Here they were on their own land, in their own country, their own territory, and they felt like they have, due to colonization and residential school and other forms of racism, they felt displaced. They felt like they were foreigners in their own land. And I realized that the most important thing I could do was just stay in that vulnerability. It's, it's, it's tempting to run from vulnerability, isn't it? It's tempting to just hide from it. And just I just felt it was so important just to live into that vulnerability, that sense of nakedness. It was literally, I felt naked. And to stay and be present and to listen a lot and speak very little. Listening is an act of vulnerability, isn't it? You open yourself up when you're being present to somebody. So we don't know this man's story. All we know is this incredible description of the condition he was in when Jesus arrived. He was completely isolated, cut off from community. He was living in tombs as far as he possibly could get away from anyone. Remember C.S. Lewis's description of hell in The Great Divorce? As everybody moves as far as away as they can from everybody else? Kind of reminds me of Calgary. Like, just, they just make another subdivision out in the prairie. Right? Sorry, Calgary. I love Calgary. Um, but it's like, just how can I get away from people? He couldn't be governed, he couldn't be controlled, he couldn't be restrained, any chain they tried to put on him, they would break it, they had no medication to sedate him. He was, and not only that, but he was cursed by this restlessness, he could not rest. Night and day he cried out, self-harming, cutting himself, 
naked, no sense of self-awareness, totally lost, didn't know who he was. So how did he get there? The Bible doesn't tell us, certainly doesn't blame him. But there seems to be through the lines of this story something bigger going on than this individual person. It seems like he was in a culture that was twisted and isolating and, and dividing, divisive, us and them kind of culture. So, he may have made some bad choices. I don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. It's interesting the Bible doesn't, isn't really forthcoming. We just know that he's, there are these powers that have gotten a hold of him beyond what he can comprehend. Addictions, you know. Uh, and, you know, I, I, by the way, I still believe in demons. I still believe they exist. Having gone through a nervous breakdown, a psychotic breakdown, many mental illnesses in my own life and in my own family and loved ones, I think that often we've oversimplified the demonic because I think often the demonic mixes with physical, physiological problems and mental problems and trauma. We're still learning about trauma. And I think the enemy really works through trauma. The, tr the enemy likes fear. So the enemy will work through fear and, and, and try to move us into our false selves to escape trauma. So there's all kinds of studying and learning and growing that we're doing, and I think it's, it's important to not make quick decisions. But I'm very aware sometimes, even now, when I'm just walking through a dark valley and a dark night and I just feel like a lot of depression, sometimes I'll just turn to something and just address it. You know, say, in the name of Jesus. And just name whatever that is. Self-pity or depression. And just say, go. In Jesus' name. Sometimes it just needs to happen. Don't try to do that on your spouse. But. So we have this confrontation then between this man whom no one could control or tame and the majesty of Christ. The man is under the control of a multiplicity of demons who seem to have a ringleader who represents them. And they're obviously very agitated by the presence of Christ, and they know who he is. I think they may have met him in the desert. Remember the desert? It says that Jesus kind of whipped their butt, you know? Kind of, you know, the, the temptation of the devil, their ringleader, to get him to go into the false self, to find his identity by something other than being a beloved child of God, which I think is where the demonic works the most, is through the false self, and through the corporate false self of a society that finds its value in something other than being beloved children of God. So they're agitated, and they beg him not to torment them because they want to be embodied. They want to embody something. And they, they've enjoyed this man as a home. They enjoy isolation. They enjoy... That, that existence. So they beg Jesus to, cast, to not cast them into the, the abyss, and so they find this compromise. And not a lot of explanations why this happens, but they find this compromise. I don't think Jesus had a big deal against pork. But he consents on allowing them to go into this herd of pigs. I think there was about 2,000 of them, wasn't there? 
I think one of the Gospels say that. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Which means 8,000 pig's feet. Just doing the math. And the pigs in one accord all plunged into the lake and drowned. The pig keepers went and reported this to the town, countryside. They came to see what happened. And they saw this man completely sane, clothed, and in his right mind. And this telling words, and they were afraid. How can a culture, what kind of culture, is more afraid of a man who is no longer demonized, is no longer crazy, who now wears clothes, who no longer needs to be constrained, restrained with chains. How can it be that they're more afraid of the solution, of the healing, of the answer than they were of the problem before? What's going on here? What kind of twisted value system causes people to be more afraid of a man being restored to health than a man who is insane and crying in the tombs? Reading between the lines, it's, it seems that this story tells us that it was a demonized culture that was more at issue than a demonized man. And that's what Jesus is confronting by allowing the demons to go into those pigs. We could say it was trafficking of something very unclean that was resulting in a lot of profit. Does that ring a bell at all? Hmm. Dostoevsky has a novel called Demons. I guess it's a classic. I, I haven't read it. But in the reviews, it's a profound critique of isms in our society that turn people into a herd of swine hell-bent on self-destruction. And in this case, in their crazed fit of self-destruction, this community rejects the greatest thing that ever came to them, the greatest solution and healing and rescue that had ever come to them in their crazed self-destruction, they turned them away and said, we don't want you here. Go away. So, of course, Jesus, who was, I was in my reading from Zechariah this morning, chapter 9, is represented as a king riding humble on a gentle donkey. He goes only where he's wanted, right? So he, he obliges, and the healed man wants to travel with Jesus, but Jesus says to him these words. Return home. Now, I want you to just savor this for a moment. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Are you listening? Get ready for this. So the man went away and told all over town, how much Jesus had done for him. Did you get that? Go home, tell everyone how much God has done for you. So he went and told everyone how much Jesus had done for him. New Testament's kind of tricky, isn't it? It doesn't really come out and tell us too often that Jesus is God. But this is embodiment. This is embodiment. When people say how much God has done for, for them, is it because we, as the embodiment of God, have represented God to them in a way they recognize? 
So just reflect on that for a moment. Reflect on this slide. Allow yourself to absorb what's being said here. Jesus went counterintuitive here again. He went against the self-destructing grain of isolation. In doing so, he broke something. How do you break isolation? It was so tempting for this man to run away from the source of his isolation and rejection and whatever pain he'd experienced from this community. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. And it's interesting, isn't it? This is, a lot of times we read where Jesus says, follow me, come with me, leave everything, forsake this one. It's the opposite. He tells him to go back right into the heart of the hellhole. You ever feel like that? You want to run away? You want to escape? I used to feel that way when it, whenever we went on holidays or we went back to Calgary and I was coming back into Vancouver. I felt like I was coming back into hell. It's changed now. It's changed. But I felt like that for a long time. We lived in the east side, had fires and break-ins and B&Es and struggles with our own kids and family living in the east side. Felt like I was coming back into hell. But I'm glad we did. Glad we did. Go, be present, live among your own people. Let them see, let them see you. Be present to them. Let, be God with skin on. Tell them what great things God has done for you. Interestingly enough, scriptures doesn't make a big deal of it, but Jesus actually returned to this very area a little while later, and guess what? They said, oh, you're back. And they welcomed him. I wonder how much this man's testimony softened their hearts and opened them to the good news. So being present to one another, telling our stories, listening to each other's stories is significant in breaking isolation and bringing us into community. I want to know your story. I want to know about you. When they, when they did my, the birthday alphabet uh, for me at my birthday party, you know, they had A, B, and they were kind of using that as the first letter for descriptions of me. And one of the most fascinating ones for me was somebody said, interested. I don't know who, I can't remember who that was. And I thought, that's just been kind of, I mean, they all were a blessing to me. But when somebody said that, it, it just really got into my, my heart. How much being interested is an act of love? someone. I want to know about you. I want to know about your life. I want to know about your story. That matters to me because that matters to God, right? So you could say that for those who do not want to stay in the sickness of isolation, there's two kinds of people in this story. There's actually three. It was the sick crowd who wanted Jesus to leave. But I'm talking about people who want to break out of isolation. I think there's two kinds of people. The first are those who God is inviting to cross barriers like Jesus did, to go from where it's comfortable to where it's uncomfortable, right? In order to break isolation. And there are those who are needing someone to cross a barrier to come to where they are because they just can't move right now. Again, Jesus said, I was sick and in prison. And not all prisons are penitentiaries. How many know there's prisons of life, there's self-made prisons, there's prisons of isolation, there's COVID prisons. 
there's living alone prisons. There's I'm new to this community, I don't know who to visit kind of prisons, right? There's different kinds of prisons where we need someone to come to us. But that also takes an act of vulnerability. It means being willing to ask for help, right? Being willing to say, I need somebody, I need you. There was a time when the greatest apostle of all time, Paul, who was such a great missionary and was willing to go anywhere and cross any kind of barrier, actually needed people to come to him. And I'm sure he wept as the Macedonians brought him a gift in that Ephesus prison. And the people visited him in Rome when he couldn't move. And he was so lonely and he was so isolated. Most people thought he was off the wall because of his strange teaching on grace. Felt alone, isolated. When you're a pioneer, it's lonely. It's lonely. You feel like, Elijah, I'm the only one, right? But somebody, somebody picked it up. And the people from Macedonia, maybe it was Lydia and her friends, who just loved on him. So reflect on this. Where are you at? Are you the one needing the visiting? Are you the one that Jesus is inviting doing, to do the visiting yourself? Maybe, it's a, maybe for both, both of us, it's a little bit of both, right? Both require obedience, humility, vulnerability. One is the willingness to cross barriers in order to break isolation in others and to visit them. One is the willingness and vulnerability to ask for help and ask people to come to you. Paul did both. It's vulnerable when you have hospitality, isn't it? When you open your home. This is a vulnerability. You ever tried to cook Italian food for Italians? That was scary, but they were so kind to me. So, what, is, what factors in your life? Let's just take a moment just to be silent and ask yourself this question. What factors in your life are the greatest contributors to feeling alone and isolated? Maybe just take a moment to be aware of where you felt alone and isolated, maybe even in the past week. And as you do, just think about, just invite the Holy Spirit to come and show you what, what factors are there. And let's just invite Jesus to be with us in our isolation, in our loneliness we have. It's a conspiracy to get Gordy to preach shorter. So how about this one? How is God inviting you to cross barriers, to go, sorry, it should be to others in order to break isolation, and or how might God be inviting you to reach out for others to come to you? The reason why I ask this question is one of our elders suggested a couple weeks ago, why don't we on some Sundays this summer actually have, oh, yes, another sign-up, um, where we kind of offer to, to, to visit someone on a Sunday 
And we have people willing to sign up saying, hey, I need somebody because of my circumstances to visit me, to come to me. But just start thinking about that, because I think we're going to do that somehow, some way. We're going to just mess it up on some weekends, some Sundays, and just be church where we bring church to people, where we are church to people, where we, where we, we receive church from people. So just reflect on that for a moment as well. So come, Holy Spirit, break isolation and make us isolation breakers. Thank you for this story of Jesus leaving the shores of Galilee to go to Gadarenes, the Gerasenes, and how it's such a picture of the incarnation that you left, you the darling of heaven, left and came to this hellhole called earth to bring heaven down, to bring heaven to us, to break isolation, to break that hell of isolation and bring us back into the heaven of connection and community. Thank you for doing that, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would break the barriers Thank you, Lord, for this pandemic in, the, in that what it's exposed in terms of our isolation and disconnection. But we ask, Lord, that you not only expose it, but that you attend to it, that you address it, and that you would help us as a church community, especially as we move into these days of summer, not only on Sundays, but throughout our weeks, Lord, to be willing to be isolation breakers. So before I benedict you, um, just want to say that if you need prayer, um, so glad we've begun to be proactive about that again. We've just seen some beautiful things transpiring uh, as we've begun to just really push that pedal of prayer ministry. So if you need prayer, I really encourage you to, if it's for physical, financial, relational, um, emotional issues, guidance issues, uh, just to not go through that alone. And even places where we haven't seen tangible answers, it's been such a blessing just to journey with people. So that, I mean, really, it's, it's not the suffering that's the thing. It's the feeling that we're alone in our suffering. That's the painful thing. And the good news is we don't have to. So uh, feel free to just ask somebody that you trust or know to pray for you. If you want to come up to the front and ask for prayer, 
I'll be here. Kathleen will be here. And uh, just know that you're loved, you're beloved, and you matter. Your story matters. Amen. So let's stand together. <laughs> so may the Lord bless you, dear ones, and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. May his love and grace be in you, all around you, above and beneath, and for your journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed, dear ones. God bless you. Happy day. <laughs>